Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Truth and Movies today, Justice League. DC give their heroes the weed on treatment, not in the Donald Trump sense, but is it just as awful as the last one? Good time, they're not having one. You will in Robert Patterson's blistering story of small-time crookery. Plus, Mudbound, a hit from Mississippi. Daddy's Home 2, Fireworks and more. Not forgetting Film Club, Dog Day Afternoon. Sidney Lumet's sweltering 1975 story of a man doing a bank hit to make a miss. It's all in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. We are Truth and Movies. Specifically in this case, it's... David Jenkins. David Jenkins. Head honcho of the Little White Lies media empire. I wouldn't say honcho. Would you not? No, just sort of... Prank monkey. Big cheese. Yeah. <laughs> and in from Film 4, hello, Michael Leader. Hello, James. All right. I'm glad to be back. I think I'm the Truth of Movies unofficial bloated sci-fi movie correspondent at this point, aren't I? Oh, well, it's so good that you're in today. Yeah. Yeah. You've been quite busy this week. What else have you seen this week? I saw Fireworks for Little White Lies, which is an anime film that uh, had a one-night-only screening on Wednesday, but might ah. have a few other pick-up screenings later in the week. Right, OK. But I'd, I wouldn't say it's worth seeing. Oh. My review's on the site. OK. Mm-hmm. On the Little White Lies website. And David, you've also been to the cinema. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you want me to talk about that film? Well, you don't have to. You well, saw... I went in on a Sunday morning to see a work entitled uh, Daddy's Home 2, which was uh, horrid. Mel Gibson and uh, Will Ferrell, and uh, they're just larking about. Yeah. Is it Christmas as well? I just can't muster the sort of words no. to re- really kind of go into don't, it. Don't worry. It is what it is. It was, yeah. oh, there wasn't much mirth. No. There wasn't much Christmas mirth there, Okay, we say. Daddy's Home 1 probably was. Do you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. that I didn't like Daddy's Home 2 because I didn't see Daddy's Home 1. Ah. So the kind of complexities of that situation were lost on me. One day when we have lots of time, we should have a conversation perhaps, if you like, about Will Ferrell and whether there's a, a greater waste of talent, a more naturally funny guy. I, I think you'd be harder pressed to find and yet he consistently chooses truly awful projects. I mean, it's interesting to sort of do the ferrell Carell uh, oh, comparison right. because, you know, where Carell does the silly stuff, he mixes it with the serious stuff and does the serious stuff actually quite well. Um, he's really good in the in the new um, Richard Linklater film, Last Flag Flying, mm. but also in Battle of the Sexes, which we'll, we'll be reviewing next week. Next week, but then, but then, yeah, Pharrell doesn't really do the serious stuff to sort of you know justify that there's more to him than kind of like man child wobbling. Mm. Um, nice though that is. Lots of people have been writing in. Uh, you can get in touch as you know. Our email, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Twitter is at LWLies. There's Facebook. There's also the Little White Lies homepage, which, if you're very clever, you can find your way to a little back room with comments on. A couple of people who made it there this week, Andrew Nagel. I just wanted to drop in and say, I love the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. 
I would like to recommend Best Picture Academy nominated film Babe for Film Club. That's a left field choice. George Miller, Mr. Mad Max. Of course. It's very good. And I would actually say I prefer Babe 2, Pig in the City. Really? Which is an incredible film. I mean, is like Mad Max with pigs. You're known for your left field choices, but David, with that one, you've gone out of the ballpark, taken a bus, no, picked no, up a no, ball from another. Wait, when you see it, I especially think, as a fan of the film Paddington Two, yes, it's. I think there is a direct correlation really? between those two films. Babe Two, Big in the City is very, very similar to to the Paddington films. Okay, It'll, well let's let's schedule that in. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Cy Sal just uh, touches in on the whole uh, parenting controversy in the Florida Project, but says they really enjoyed the conversation there and the movie, of course. Some comments on Twitter. David Roll saluting the uh, triumph of the death of Stalin and the way it pulled off the trick of acknowledging the evil while showing the buffoonery embedded in any human endeavour. Not any, David, not any. But yes, I completely agree with you. And James says, I had an interesting experience last week. I managed to finally catch Baby Driver. I forgot Kevin Spacey was in the movie. He's clearly a tremendous actor, but I didn't know how to watch the film in the same way, considering the amount of allegations against him. It makes you think very differently of people. I know a lot has been written about this, but what are your thoughts on separating the art from the real world? Boy, that's a big question, this from James. Can we still watch films? Effectively, do we have to jettison half the the, the last 20 years of, of Hollywood output? Or probably all Hollywood output ever, can we still appreciate people's art despite the fact that they've done bad things, which in no way is meant to lessen the import of, of the things that they've done. But surely their art, what people create as an, as an artist, is beyond what character issues they have, what flaws they have as a person. Michael, do you want to give a definitive answer to this debate once I, and for all? I will close Can you the still book listen to Michael one. Jackson? <laughs> I still do. Yeah. Uh, it's a very big question, almost an academic one, at a time where academic questions almost put us further away from actual changes. Okay. Um, I think that James really hits on a feeling that that it's going to become more common with when these allegations come out and when these conversations occur but it's more important that we see these people who they are and make changes and say the the, the change that Ridley Scott has already enacted to recast that role in his right. film and replace Kevin Spacey is to make sure that this bad behavior is is reckoned with. Another example, Brett Ratner, who's now been mm. removed from the Wonder Woman 2 production. Gal Gadot really using her sort of metal now to be able to make change there. Mm. is to make sure that in the hiring practices going forward we can change and well, then I... look back and see how we, we feel about films that have already been made. But then works of art throughout history, we don't necessarily claw through the biographies well, of the artists as well. I did see that, yes, a lot of people were saying with this... The thing regarding Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World and the recasting of uh, Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer, that mm. uh, you know, so they better make sure that someone's done a, a deep background check on Christopher Plummer, because you know, like, it's is anyone morally pure? <laughs> you know, mm. well, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a philosophical thinker, I think. Uh, it is, and thanks for raising it, Chase, because it is an important question. I do hope that we're able to consider that while we're also putting full weight behind the need for changes, which mm-hmm. you touch on there. Uh, Michael. Interesting. I tell you what, speaking of things that need to be excised, crimes against humanity that need to be removed from the big screen, that brings us on nicely to Justice League and Superman's moustache, which we'll be coming to after this. (laughs) 
It's Not Easy Being DC Department, Justice League hits the screens this week, featuring all sorts of stars as Batman rounds up a group of superheroes to save the world from an otherworldly threat. If only Superman wasn't so very dead, eh? Here is the moment anyway when Bruce Wayne encounters The Flash. I know you have abilities. I just don't know what they are. My special skills include uh, viola, uh, web design, fluent in sign language, gorilla sign language. Silica-based quartz sand fabric, abrasion resistant, heat resistant. Uh, yeah, I do competitive ice dancing. It's what they use on the space shuttle to prevent it from burning up on re-entry. I do very competitive ice dancing. Whoever you're looking for, it's not I don't think he needed to slam that fridge door quite so loudly, did he? That's actually, of course, a, a batarang, is That's that right? right? He's testing the Flash's reflexes right. by, by chucking one of his signature weapons. It's a batarang, Michael, isn't batarang. it? Batarang. It doesn't come back, though. It's unfortunate that he, he kills him and Flash is then out of the film and the franchise for good. Mm-hmm. And whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> Whoopsie. All right, let's start with the good news. It's DC's shortest film yet. Hurrah! Hey. That was the, the yeah. That was keeping hope alive for me. Right. And and do you know what? Actually, when you Google it, this was actually terrifying. When you Google Justice League, the sort of Google page that comes up still says that it's two hours fifty minutes. Ooh. So is that what it originally was? I, I don't know if that if it was cut down or what. But yeah, it's not two hundred fifty minutes, which is massive cause for celebration. A, a mandate from the CEO of, of Warner Brothers to get it under two hours. Okay. So I think we can tell that there's been a lot left out of this film. Right. Not enough, some would say. Originally, <laughs> this was a Zack Snyder production. A horrible family tragedy forced him to leave the project and allowed DC to bring in Joss Whedon, who, of course, pretty much put up Marvel's tentpole with the, the original Avengers and the sequel as well. I don't know how Marvel feel about him jobbing for the the competition, but this also involved extensive reshoots, mm-hmm. which led to its own problem. Michael, you were writing on Twitter, two decades on from Terminator to Jurassic Park and Toy Story, we finally found the limits of CGI magic, convincingly erasing an actor's moustache. Yes, during the reshoots, uh, Henry Cavill, who plays Superman, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that he's back in this film. He's not been in the promotional copy, but he's been on the campaign trail. During the reshoots, he'd grown a moustache for the Mission Impossible movie that he's currently shooting and contractually couldn't remove it. So they thought, oh, we'll remove it in post. And it's, it's actually given us quite an easy visual motif of finding which, which scenes were reshot because it looks like he's just had a hefty injection of Botox. It looks like he's had his mouth superimposed onto a face, you know, like <laughs> someone else is doing the dialogue and, and it's just like... Mah, 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 mah. It's truly bizarre. It really, it really is. is like so, so odd. I was trying to think while I was watching it, I, I was thinking, <laughs> oh, Superman, maybe maybe being in a casket for so long, hmm. you've got some rigor mortis in your no, top lip. Your hair grows it? on after you die, so they say, you know, after the body ceases to function, hair just persists. No, but Superman, like Superman Japanese soldiers after the Second World War. Superman couldn't have a moustache because his whole thing is like... He disguised is one set of glasses. Oh, yeah. So, like, oh, yeah. people would be like, who's that guy that looks like Superman with a moustache? Right. Uh, regarding Joss Whedon, you were talking about the time being one of your kind of rays of, of hope about this. For mine, it was Joss Whedon, the fact that I thought he'd bring a little bit of Levity. sass mm. And, mm. And, and, and wit and, and knowingness which I found almost entirely absent from the film. The script's a bit of a boob, no? Yes. I, this is... 
DC films have been very different to Marvel films over the years. Much more serious, much more stately, much more grand, or at least ambitions towards being grand. But since Suicide Squad last year, it seems that they've had a bit of a rethink in terms of the tone of their films and wanting to make them lighter. And it feels like this has been aggressively rewritten and then reshot to inject humour. Mm. And it's just cut and paste Joss Whedon one-liners mainly from the same characters that's pretty much what the flash is there for you heard that in the clip that he's yeah. just kind of he's the kind of spider-man role would you say he's the comic relief yeah yeah he's a sort of nervy anxious kid self-identifies as, as the most jewish superhero ever and he's there to make a sort of snarky comment or a self-facing comment or just a rug pull which mm. is what J- joss whedon brought to the marvel universe but at least wove it more into a an actual satisfying screenplay yeah yeah. Okay. Were your expectations met? Were you, were you disappointed? Were I, you... I always like to give these films, you know, a, a, a kind of fair kind of go. I think that Zack Snyder is a, is, is, you know, he's a, he's a visionary filmmaker, but sometimes quite a, a bloated and overblown filmmaker. But he does compose some good shots in Batman vs Superman and Man of Steel, and his tone is his own. It's quite astounding to see those films in contrast to the Marvel movies. This one seems like a complete mess, and one not entirely by design because of the sad production story, mm. but also you can tell that it's being pulled in three different directions. Warner Brothers wants it to be more funny. Zack Snyder doesn't finish the film he wants to finish. Joss Whedon's brought in and does whatever he wants. It's an interesting sort of counterpoint to Thor Ragnarok from a couple of weeks ago, right. where you could tell that there was a filmmaker who was on set, Taika Waititi, infusing his voice into every line read, every kind of bit of business on set with real people. Right. And Joss Whedon, coming in as he is in post-production, infuses Joss Whedon into everything almost other than the actual DNA of the story and right. the, the, the performances. It's all in the edits and the post-production and some really bad rewriting. It's yeah. his worst writing, I'd say. It's not all bad, but it's the amount of money and, and people's effort and, and time that's gone into it, it's just remarkable that they couldn't produce anything better than this. Sadly, one of the, the best bits, I thought, was the, the post-credits scene, which involves a a speed-off between Flash and Superman. Yeah, I mean, usually for those post-credits scenes, you, it's generally a kind of tee-up for, for further business. I mean, you know, you get a kind of little cliffhanger, but for this one, they've gone for, you know, it's more of a, you know, don't want to spoil it, but it's more sort of jokey. And it's, you know, I think by far the best bit in the film. I mean, there's actually a bit of chemistry mm-hmm. between two of the players, and uh, which is kind of notably absent mm. in the kind of preceding two hours. It is one of those films that I think it's like a kind of, it feels like a kind of F10 film. It's what like, does Function 10 do? It's just, you know, it just feels like someone's pressed a button and a film's come out. Oh, you know, it's I like see, a right. shortcut to film, mm. you know? You're watching it and there's no kind of real evidence that anyone's made an effort to sort of think what what could we do new here how could we switch up the template how could we make these characters do something different feel different how can we sort of give them different dilemmas to face and emotions to feel and i do talk a lot about how marvel movies are the same and you know this one almost sort of takes it to a, almost a kind of yeah. parody level i think I, I disagree with you i don't think they're the same but i do think that this is as you say very much just kind of churned out of the other end of the machine after a very great deal of offal has been mm. put in at the point of origin i quite like the way it started actually when it was still more in a comic book mode a kind of classic rooftop scene between batman and a mm. and a hoodlum but then it, it just descends into to something else. And I, I feel there's probably a limit to how many times the Earth can get invaded by kind of otherworldly beings. In this case, it's kind of a, a very kind of bland Skeletor type mm. who, who cackles and, and is, who talks about destroying the world, voiced by Kieran Hines. It's really like 
as baddies go, he is a bit of a kind of charisma vortex, really. He's, um, he's named Steppenwolf. Is there any kind of classical basis for that? I mean, it makes me the think band? of the, the, I don't know. No, no, the book. I would, uh, well, oh, yeah. Thought, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, the character was created by Jack Kirby, who was right. you know, one of the great kind of comic artists and creators of all time mm. during his phase where he worked at DC after leaving Marvel, and he created a whole comic book universe called The New Gods, right. and it seems that's what they're pillaging here. But yeah, Steppenwolf, I think, is just, he probably just thought it was a cool name right, but right, his, it it's, is. It's, it's interesting you, again to compare with Thor Ragnarok which is another very Kirby influenced film you can almost see with Hela the antagonist in that film her headgear is very similar to Steppenwolf's headgear here and, but that's the mm. only comparison you can make between the two because it's, this is such a murky looking film and to take some of the most eye popping art from comics and turn it into such grey sludge really sad to see what do you feel about this that I've read about these sort of Zack Snyder films which I think are sort of all awful, including this one. And um, and a lot of people kind of level the blame at Christopher Nolan. He was the kind of first person to do the kind of the serious Batman movies, bringing in that kind of the existential weight of, of being a superhero and sort of channeling it into those stories. Which is maybe something, a momentum for which had been building already through kind of graphic novels and, and, and from Frank Miller onwards. And also Alan Moore, of course, mm-hmm. can't, I mean, his incredible Watchmen series and that. So, yeah, that's one of the problems, I think you're right, of this film, the fact that it thinks it's worthwhile taking itself seriously. It really sort of shows up how great those Nolan films were, that he was able to infuse a sense of gravitas into the proceedings. And they are long films, but I, I think what this film lacks, and it's maybe due to the, the fact that it has been sort of chopped up and fiddled about with, but... There are all these dramatic scenes, but there's no drama. There's no mm. kind of like pause. I mean, it's it's the kind of you feel like it's the moments where people are waiting for something to happen, or the moments where people are kind of thinking about something that's just happened. Mm. That's like that's where the drama is. Yeah. All right. So, David, a score? I would say my expectations were very muted because I hate Zack Snyder. So I'm going to say uh, anticipation one. Right. And I also thought the poster was terrible. It's, it's got the tagline: "You can't save the world alone." Huh. Unless you're, Superman. you know, Superman or Batman probably or Wonder Woman. Could as well, I feel. Yeah, I think a lot of them probably could, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Although I've been very, very overwhelmingly negative about it, relatively speaking, I'd probably give this a two because a two. although it was very boring and, and it was very much a kind of cut and shunt job... I'm it, so glad you said that the right way around. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, the sort of anger I felt after Batman versus Superman right. was, was so intense that, you know... You didn't is... get that on this. And I noticed, I was checking my watch to see when the first time you checked your watch was. And it was, I think, about an hour in, unless you were doing it very surreptitiously. Yeah, I think about... So I, I had carry a you along hour, for a yeah. bit, yeah. Um, Michael, some numbers. You can use minuses if you want. As I said, I probably would be three for anticipation, just okay. because I want to go in and enjoy these films. Mm. I, don't, I, I don't go in and expect the worst. But yeah, I'd say... Enjoyment two and in respect one, it's, this really doesn't deserve to be yeah. talked about again. Okay, I'll sign off on that as well. Hey, next up, let's talk about the very excellent Good Time. That's right, the Safdie brothers, Benny and Josh, who I was not previously familiar with, but one of whom takes a key role in this production. Uh, which features Robin Pattinson playing a petty crook who scrambles to post bail for his mentally disabled brother, played by Benny Safdie, following a comically sloppy bank job. Terrific film, which received a six-minute long-standing ovation after its screening at the Cannes Film Festival. Why are you there? 
they're there so i mean like if you don't give them ovation it's kind of like ah. a, a, like if you look you know terrible terrible films have got 10 minute long standing ovations i did not know that i will say that there's probably some sincerity yeah. behind the ovations at, what makes this, this film so terrific then david I mean, it is really just relentless. I mean, it's. I think that's probably the only word to describe it. You've got Robert Pattinson doing a kind of... A lot of people have tried to describe his performance here, and I think it's one of the reasons why we picked up on Dog Day Afternoon, because he really is channeling that kind of 70s De Niro Pacino full immersion kind of technique. He just feels like a completely different person. He's just let the character infuse his entire being, and he's doing all the facial expressions, keeping this really great like very very um credible accent mm. i mean you know just to go on a little sort of segue for a second i mean i think robert pattinson is he's done good basically he's <laughs> um in a film that i wasn't that hot on called lost city of zed uh, where he played opposite charlie hunnam he is just astonishing in the film as, as, as a supporting character to the point where I was like, w- I wish the film was about him. That's such a bad film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I found that film very boring. But yeah, in this one, he, yeah, as you say, he plays this crook who is kind of, he, he's on this kind of like road to hell, I think. And um, the title is ironic. He's, he's a guy prone to making just awful decisions, sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for the wrong reasons. It's all about this idea of, is what he's doing morally right because he's trying to save his brother and he's trying to be a family man and he's trying to make things good for the family? Or is he an awful person because the sort of manner in which he is trying to achieve this dream gets more and more and more, like, debased? Mm. It is absolutely, as you say, relentless. From from the start to the finish, the, the music... Oh. It's just kind of one long climax. I love the music. It's Daniel Lepatin, who is an electronic musician who performs his uh, Warner Tricks Point Never. And it's just this squalling synth, kind of reminiscent of Tangerine Dreams, 80s scores, or a bit of John Carpenter in there. But mm. it's, it's a really hip soundtrack mm. and one that really ratchets up the, the movie beyond its budget. It really comes across like it, it's all climax all the time, as you say. But the, the opening of the film is incredible. Yeah. It condenses probably a whole heist movie into maybe 15 minutes. Mm. And then it's just this one wild night afterwards while Connie is kind of, I think, just a creature of short-term thinking. He has no big picture. He's just, who's the next person A to hustle to get to point B, to point yeah. C, to point D, point E? And Pattinson gives a, such a perfect performance as that. Right. So many great sequences in this. I won't go into them too much because you know, hopefully people are going to go and see this. I didn't know, as I say, uh, anything really about the Safdie brothers. Their next project, apparently, features Jonah Hill in the lead role. Uncut Gems is called. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. One of their big things is street casting. So they get a lot of people, real people, into the film. And most of the cast, apart from Benny Safty and Pattinson, mm. are non-professionals. One of the main characters in it is a friend of theirs who was in prison and he was in their previous film called Heaven Knows What, which is also amazing, which right. is about heroin addicts in New York. The lead actress in that was, was someone they discovered on the street. She was a heroin addict herself and she is just astonishing in it. Heaven uh, Knows What came out in 2014. Apparently Pattinson saw that and then got in touch with them and said, I really want to work with you. And they then wrote the, the part of Connie, the main protagonist, for him. Wow. But that's what's so interesting about this film is that it's taking that sort of social streetcast drama from their previous work and infusing it with this Martin Scorsese after hours Mean Streets type yeah. vibe where it's more of a genre film. But it, it's always there, the sort of the social realist aspects, the drama, the real sort of grit, you know, alongside what is a chase movie. Mm. I think one of the other interesting things about this film, which I think is so great, is this idea of the depiction of New York as well. Mm. You might kind of call it unflattering. It's not like Woody Allen's Manhattan. It, it's set in and around Queens. Mm. They're not trying to tell like a New York story where they're trying to encapsulate the kind of iconic 
places and people and scenes from a city, they really try and encapsulate the sort of atmosphere mm. and you know what it's like to walk down a street at night, what it's like to enter into an apartment block, what it's like to like break into a hospital. It is kind of revolting, but at the same time, there is something quite magical about it. And you know, it's hard to describe why, but yeah, you know, it's a very unrelentingly bleak film, but. Mm. But that bleakness is... Oh, I don't know about the, There's a lot of comedy in this as well, no? I mean, it's, it's very sort of dark humour. Oh, it's hugely <laughs> dark, yeah. One of the other things that people have written about the film, which is, again, quite an interesting point, is that it's a film about white privilege. Yeah. This is about a kind of young white guy exploiting... Nearly all of his marks, all of the people he hustles, are kind of low-income, you know, people of colour. And he's just there as this bull in a china shop, just coming into their lives and taking what he needs to get to the next stage. And, and, you know, it's most... We won't say what happens, but it's kind of most pointed with the character of Barkhad Abdi that he plays, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, who was in Captain Phillips. And he plays a a night watchman security guard who has, you know, made a life for himself here in Queens and is slogging away, and Connie comes and... Has his way, you know. Has his way. What numbers would you give this, Michael? You know, back in Cannes when we saw it, I didn't have much in the way of anticipation for it, so so a three, I was prepared to enjoy it. A four and a four, I'd say, really strong. My anticipation was higher, I think, uh, because I'd loved uh, Heaven Knows What, so probably fours across the board, I would say. I I loved it, but I didn't quite think it was up. Like Heaven Knows What, I think, is a five-star film for me, but there there was just a a few notes here that didn't quite hit. I've not seen Heaven Knows What, Mm. so... For me, my needle was definitely poking in the red of five oh, for wow. this one. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, I think you said a sensory overload and just a lot of it would almost seem like a dream sequence, but a very mm. bad dream. Anyway, that's good time. Got another film for you before we get on to Film Club, and it's Mudbound. We'll have a quick chat about that after this. There will be mud on a Mississippi farm. Two families, one black, one white. In the quagmire of the Deep South, each family having a veteran returning home from World War II uh, to find that the battles aren't over. It's an epic, somewhat sprawling tale, would you say? Oh, certainly, yeah. It has this feeling of an epic because, as you say, these two families, but the sort of narrative perspective shifts between probably five or six characters. Mm. It's very novelistic in that sense. So even though it's quite a personal story, it does have this epic sweep but also, as you say, taking in historical events after World War II mm. and this sort of pre-civil rights movement south. It's a really fascinating movie. We're watching it alongside Justice League. It's a film that is, you know, completely very powerful and very wise. Uh, you know, the way that it looks at people and the crossing of generations and the tensions between them. What can you tell me about the director, Dee Reese? I don't really know that much about her. I know that she made a film called Pariah. And actually, she did a um, biopic for TV as well on um, Bessie. Bessie Smith. Which had, I think, Queen Latifah as, yes, I as think Bessie so. Smith. She's got Mary J. Blige in, in this one, which I, it was a real shock to me when I read afterwards. That yeah, she no, she's astonishing and, and, and kind of unrecognisable. She plays this kind of ex-slave family matriarch mm. who, instead of having this kind of real sense of they're out of this kind of horrific time, in American history, they've sort of come out the other side of it. It's a time of, of high anxiety and kind of keeping your head down and not wanting to sort yeah. of go there again. And the film is very much about kind of the tentative reintegration of kind of black and white people in that kind of post-bellum era. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about Justice League, whereas I mean, this film, I think, for me, it has the real genuine epic sweep of like a David Lean film or something. You know, it, feel, it feels just like... It has the gravity of the world 
focused on these kind of six or seven people. They are kind of dealing with the big moral issues of the day. Whereas, like, you know, Justice League is just men in tights mm. running around. Well, essentially, they've, they've got different ambitions, I suppose, in Justice League's defence. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the performances in this, I think, are universally excellent, no? Oh, I was oh, really oh, impressed oh. with Jason Mitchell, who plays Easy in Straight Outta Compton, and also Jonathan Banks as the horrible father of, the, of one of the families. There are these older figures in, in these families who, uh, you know, for, for them, the culture of slavery is, you know, is a, almost a real memory. Right. And for him, Jonathan Banks, this sort of, you know, racist monster, it's an incredible performance, having only really seen him in community. From, I think he has quite a role in Breaking Bad. He is in Breaking Bad. I've yeah, not yeah. seen. I've not watched Breaking I'm Bad all the way But he, he's sort of representative of the old era. And you've got Jason Clark, who's the, the father, well, who's his son, who is kind of trapped between these two ways of thinking. And then you have almost a little bit younger generation within that generation, which is Garrett Hedlund, who is the younger brother, mm-hmm. who goes to war and comes back, but then also Carrie Mulligan mm. as uh, as Jason Clark's wife, who is a, like a cosmopolitan. She wants to play piano and stay in the city, but is dragged back into the, the farm, you know, the back yeah, into I the country. Know, I, did have, I know this is from a, a very popular book, but I did have some it did make me raise an eyebrow a little bit how the family goes from this kind of comfortable middle class Memphis life to being Essentially, living in the dirt in the middle of a field in in Mississippi. Well, it's a it's a bureaucratic error, isn't it? I suppose it is. Um, when we were talking last night about mm-hmm. it, you, you, one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to bring up was, I personally think that the the use of uh, voiceover in this film is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> it is based on a novel, and it has it gives the film a sort of slightly literary dimension, or at mm-hmm. least sort of like links it back to the sort of pages of a book. I love this kind of almost sort of days of heaven like way of that it kind of dives into people's heads and the narrations aren't kind of they're not sort of narrative-y they're more kind of atmospheric they're more like here is my thoughts on this specific Mm. moment rather than like commentating on what's happening and who you know who what does x feel about y and how am i gonna you know it's just it's like these kind of musings on on life and it's and i, and I just thought they were really really like poetic and when we talk uh, about emotional landscape that's a way that this film completely broadens that landscape and you, you have maybe what was it five or six characters that have that internal monologue but it just yeah. expands both into the so past is the future the ambitions the feelings it's all there and the reason that i mentioned this this is curious is because i actually didn't that was one of the things i didn't like about the film it did feel very much like that's something that would work in a book but essentially I found it a distraction in the movie it felt like a literary shorthand because they do essentially say and this is what I was feeling at this point at kind of random intervals you get like one one or two lines from one character and then five minutes later another character will come in interestingly you only get it from the sympathetic characters you don't get it from Jason Clark's character or the uh, Jonathan Banks mm. the, the patriots which which would have been really interesting I think to put the thinking behind what their positions were my other issue because I did have a couple with this movie although broadly speaking I enjoyed it was the coda which after the kind of Steinbeckian miserable sweep of the movie which I thought was by and large great the coda I found the shift of tone that I, I struggled to attach any kind of weight to I found its tone a little bit jarring, but yeah, broadly speaking, it's a, a hell of a ride. I mean, she's a director. I think I'm like in for whatever she does now. Okay, well, it's, it's it's you know well acted. It's really well shot, and uh, it, it's is it just going to Netflix or is it actually having a? I think a it's coming release? out of cinema, uh, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then going on to Netflix. Those yeah. Netflix guys, hey, they're, they're busy. They, yeah, they swept in and bought it in Sundance, didn't they? Boom. Yeah. Have some of that. I uh, think also yes. best picture. <laughs> 
Mm. You're starting a campaign right here. I, I would say that it would be a good one. It'd be interesting to have Netflix in the conversation like that. Well, you have to wonder how many films are actually going to be up for the full consideration with the current uh, climate. Tell you what, though, David, next up, let's have a look at a, a previous nominee for Best Picture at those Oscars. It is this week's film club, Sydney Lumet's 1975 classic, Dog Day Afternoon. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's Al Pacino as Sonny in a bank and very much in the media spotlight. You know how much a bank teller makes a week? Not much. Not much. 115 to start, right? Now, you're going to live on that? I got a wife and a couple of kids. How am I going to live on that? Uh, what do you make a week? Well, I'm here to talk to you, Sonny. Uh, uh, no, well, I'm, talk to I'm talking to you. We're entertainment, right? What do you, what do you, what do you got for us? Well, what do you want to get for it? You expect to be paid because no, of appearing... No, I don't want to be paid. I don't need to be paid. Look, I'm here with my partner and nine other people. See, we're dying, man. You know? You're going to see our brains on a the sidewalk. They're going to spill our guts out. Now, you're going to show that on television? Have all your housewives look at that instead of as the world turns? I mean, what do you got for me? I want something for that. Sonny. Yeah? You could give up. So, real-life story, this, of a small-scale heist that goes wrong and the standoff that develops on one of the hottest days of a New York summer. And what did listeners make of this, David? Well, Isabel Garcia, Isabella Garcia, sorry, says one of my all-time favourite films, Young Pacino, was electric. Andy Black, ah, wonderful film. And then we've got a comment from Ian Wright. A brilliant film. Oddly enough, I first saw it thanks to being intrigued by John Travolta's monologue about it in The Risible Swordfish. At least something good came of having seen that movie. About two years ago, I went to a screening of it in Dublin's terrific Lighthouse Cinema and realised for the first time just how funny it was. Perhaps some aspects of the film only became apparent when viewed as part of an audience. Right. Oh, Michael. So AJ in Yorkshire uh, says, I can't believe I hadn't watched this movie before. It's quite brilliant. No wonder the screenplay won an Oscar. It has to go in my top five films of all time. Yeah. I agree. I hadn't seen this film before. This was one of my rainy day movies. Mm. And it was a really terrific watch. And then uh, Tom Joyce. I'd forgotten just how good this film is. It's funny, chaotic and tragic in equal measure. I love how a stifling, angry New York is embodied in Pacino's sunny and the direction. Performances and editing all seem to give space for the effortlessly naturalistic script to shine. 
Yeah. Naturalistic, what a great word for this film, because everything about it just feels like it's actually happening and Sidney Lumet's just rolling a camera on it. Mm-hmm. Magnificently framed and staged movie. Astro Wiz says, I developed a bit of an allergy to Pacino in the 2000s, but wow, he was great in Dog Day Afternoon. Right from the opening five minutes, I knew I was in for a, a treat of a movie. Interesting side conversation. When did young Pacino become old Pacino? Because I remember being shocked when he suddenly turned up, probably around Scent of a Woman era, mm-hmm. having been, you know, the young Michael Corleone to suddenly being the hoo-ha um, and Stuart Roche Dog Day Afternoon excellent movie great performances from Pacino and John Cazar worth mentioning him again he died young but had some excellent performances in great movies Godfather's Part 1 and 2 and of course Deer Hunter Stuart would like to suggest for film club Ellie Confidential <gasps> but that's got Kevin Spacey in it but John Cazar let's have a quick word about him and his doom laden puppy eyes He's a kind of strange one in this film, and yeah, he he's you know he's obviously was with um, Pacino in the Godfather mm. film. Well, mm. supposedly, I read this in you know online trivia. Well, first of all, Al Pacino was down to do this part, but he was so exhausted from doing The Godfather, he said, oh, I can't work myself into that state again. Mm. So Sidney Lumet went, all right, I'll give it to Dustin Hoffman, at which point Al Pacino <laughs> went, you know what? <laughs> um, and then he said, basically, you have to have John Cazale in this. Sidney Lumet felt that he wasn't the right age because I think the partner, Sal, is, is meant to be 18. Mm. But when he met John Cazale, he went, yeah, actually, you're really terrific. He doesn't do much, but boy, does he kind of do a lot in this mm. film. He does everything without doing anything. Right. He, ju- he just kind of lurks in the background and he's trigger happy. And, you know, he's very much inside Pacino's head rather than, like, being a sort of physical presence. He's right. like, you know, I think he's... As someone so said, were this to be a kind of, like, fight club scenario where Sal doesn't actually exist, but it's just an externalisation? It, 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 it could be. He's yeah. the kind of, I want to sort of send it all to hell and just blow everyone away and kind of attitude. But someone commented before, you know, it's evident from the off how great Pacino is in this. Mm. And, and I think it's from, like, the very first shot of him where... Well, they're waiting in a car outside and they're all kind of in their sort of three-piece suits and he's got the most non-ominous-looking rose box. <laughs> and you're like, mm. Should a security guard let a man with a very long rose box into a, into a bank? But anyway, um, there's this, just this moment where he's kind of, his eyes sort of twitch, where like someone whispers something to him and his eyes kind of twitch around and you can see him thinking. And you just know from that moment, this is going to be great. Yeah. Pacino's going to go all in. And seeing an actor just think is just it's just a beautiful thing, I think. <laughs> Listeners, if you didn't get the chance to see it for this week, I hope we haven't spoiled anything, but do go away and watch it. A couple of other little facts for you, Michael. You may be aware of this. The real bank robber, John Wojtowicz, actually went to the cinema to watch The Godfather on the very day that he staged oh. The Bank Robber to get ideas, apparently. And this I particularly like. The bar across the street from the bank that they're robbing in the movie is clearly seen to be Moe's Tavern. And Hank Azaria, who voices Moe in The Simpsons, has stated that the inspiration for Moe's voice was sunny. Oh, wow. It comes full circle. Did you know what also is interesting? I think, although it is like a, a heist movie, it's also a kind of media maelstrom movie as well. I and mean, it's, it's about how the police and the media kind of almost build him up into a celebrity. It's interesting that Lumet also made the movie Network, mm-hmm. which is currently has Brian Cranston... As Howard Beale at the National. Oh, really? So they made a stage version of of Network. So you could do a film club and theatre double bill extravaganza. Have have either of you seen this? No, my colleague went to see it yesterday. Ah. He said it was great. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds absolutely terrific, isn't it? Brian Cranston, The National. 
network. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to add about this, Michael? What I find interesting, and again, this might be apocryphal, I, you know, citation may be needed for this, but I, I hear that the, the real bank robber in Sonny in real life, the money that he made from selling his story for the film, was mm. it, he then funneled that back to his girlfriend for the gender reconfirmation surgery. Right. So actually... Played by Chris Sarandon in out the film, of The yeah. Princess Bride. He's great in this. He's good. Yeah. I, I, unrecognisable, actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I knew him also from uh, Fright Night, where Fright he plays the, the kind one. of crazy, kind of sexy vampire. He's kind of a theatre actor, mm-hmm. and this really shows his versatility. And you know, he's not just the kind of Prince Humperdinck and uh, <laughs> sexy vampire. Kind of. I also particularly enjoyed seeing Bishop out of Aliens mm-hmm. playing a key role in this. That's who the the cyborg was based on. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, so that was this week's film club. What are we going to follow that up with next week, David? So next week is going to be discussions on the film Battle of the Sexes Mm -hmm. with uh, Steve Carell and Emma Stone. And then we've also got Clooney directing a Coen Brothers, half a Coen Brothers script in Mm -hmm. Suburbicon. So who wrote the other half? Uh, Clooney. Okay. And then we've got Good Night and Good Luck, which is Clooney's 2005 film. Mm -hmm. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason if we dig deep in our history and our doctrine. And remember that we are not descended from fearful men, not from men who feared to write, to associate, to speak, and to defend the causes that were for the moment unpopular. This is no time for men who oppose Senator McCarthy's methods to keep silent, or for those who approve. We can deny our heritage and our history, but we cannot escape responsibility for the results. We proclaim ourselves, indeed, as we are, the defenders of freedom wherever it continues to exist in the world. But we cannot defend freedom abroad by deserting it at home. And, yeah, I think it will be a nice exploration into Clooney's directorial side project. Right. This, I would say, is probably his most successful? I would say so, yeah. All right. I've seen Leatherheads. Has anyone out in the world seen Leatherheads? If you've seen Leatherheads, listeners, do let David know. Right, well, that's coming up next week. The excellent battle of the sexes. I haven't seen Suburbicon yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Michael, what are you going off to see next? I still haven't seen Paddington 2, which I hear is fantastic. Lucky oh, chat. <laughs> Although I don't want to you know, spoil it with overly inflated expectations. I've, I've seen Babe Pig in the City yeah, as well. And, well that's course, on my yeah. watch list. Uh, anything else you'd like to flag up before we press stop? One thing I would like to flag is it's still on iPlayer for a week is one of the great documentaries of the year, The Work, about group therapy sessions in Folsom Prison in California. Mm. Every year, five members of the public are allowed to sit in on these group therapy sessions with real inmates. And it's just a raw, bruising, emotional work of drawing empathy out of these men. It's incredible. It's on iPlayer for a week. It's it's under Storyville, as opposed to under the film section. Okay, right. I wouldn't mind just flagging out our little uh, magazine side project that mm. we do. Um, yeah, there's a current uh, new issue of Little White Lies out, inspired by the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And yeah, look out for it in uh, newsagents. When is that online. out? It's not out until the new year. Okay. Early new year. And yeah, start it's got, saving also now. got a double cover. Oh, yeah, Double what, cover. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, you mean the back? The back what? Well, the back cover. What's the double bit? Oh, it's just got two different covers, alternative covers. Oh, you've done that kind of. You've gone yeah. down that other film uh, publication route of having collectible covers of you. No, they're not collectible. It's just a, it's just a, a fun random option. You don't need to buy both. Okay. Um, I like just, the ones you can colour in yourself. Roots. Yeah, yeah. Can you do more of those? More color? No, there's only a one ever colouring cover. We can oh. only do that once. All right then. Well, 
Uh, I hope you have a splendid uh, week watching movies, listeners, wherever it might be. Many thanks to Michael and David for joining us today and everyone for your comments. We'll see you again next week. This has been a Seven Digital production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.